Hello and welcome to Lave Radio. Greetings and welcome to Lave Radio. Greetings, Commanders. Greetings, Commanders. The show that talks about the universe of Elite. And the development of the computer game Elite 4, known as Elite Dangerous. And the fantastic community that surrounds it. Broadcast from the Atari Designwinder and a place of nonsense and innuendo for forum dads. A self-contained podcast two hours long. Transmitting to every corner of the galaxy. It's even louder than me. The hottest show this side of Dizzo. The name of the place. Lave Radio. Lave Radio. Lave Radio. Lave Radio. Commanders, and welcome to episode 416 of Lave Radio, the show that talks about the universe of Elite and the fantastic community that surrounds it. I'm not Colin. I'm not even Psychic. We have really fallen down the chain tonight, and I am going to be your host, Ben Mosswood Ward, otherwise known as Commander Edelweiss. Joining me in the Orange Sidewinder, we have managed to retain uh, our chief test pilot or something like that, Dr- SRV person, drivery, uh, Commander Alec Turner. Hello, yeah, I'm still here. Can't get rid of me that easily. Yeah, we have blown the dust off of the station, Commander, and Alan is with us. Hiya. Good to hear you, Ben. Um, <laughs> and you, and you, Alan. Good, good to hear Ventura um, clearly beating the walls of his room. we can hear Norman hitting the walls of his room hopefully nobody else can Um, also get your your speakers turned down because we do have the squeer in chief the one and only Commander Crash greetings commanders Uh, alright I'll bounce right back to you John how you been doing yeah, not bad. Not bad. Incredibly busy. Uh, it's been a, been a mad couple of weeks. Um, I've not had a chance to do much in Elite recently because it's been so damn busy. Um, we were just talking about the Games Workshop off, off the air just then, and it uh, made me think I really should give a shout out to my bro. He's just opened a uh, tabletop gaming store uh, where he lives, which is fantastic. Um, and I've been helping him set up all the, the stuff on the back end and all. So that's why I've been so incredibly busy. Um, so, yeah, so if, if there is anything you want, he does all kinds of things. Star Wars Legion, you know, all the tabletop stuff. Is, is he selling ice dice and various other things like that by certain gentlemen who we know? Possibly. He's got a large collection of, of dice there, it, literally in the uh, um, kilos. <laughs> yeah, and, and what, what about your level up for your table up for your to have a table on a table and all that stuff? 
I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, if you, you'll, you will have to find out. <laughs> uh. But yeah, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, we'll try and share some of the details with you guys. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been a mad couple of weeks, bless him. But he's kind of followed his dream. He's been into the tabletop stuff for a long, long time. So I'm, I'm glad to see he's finally open. Uh, he's just waiting on me to get all these products listed on the database so we can open the web stores. <laughs> I, I'm being asked a dubious question coming in from Twitch. What about furry dice? <laughs> furry dice. Well, possibly. Possibly. You can start the name. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, I we'll move away from that rather rapidly. <laughs> All right. Alan, I know you've been damn busy since last we spoke. Oh, God. I, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be quite hard to kind of track stuff, I think, really, because um, <laughs> it's been a while since I've been on there. Um, so, I mean, this last weekend... Uh, Karen's just been out to New Orleans. Uh, one of the reasons why we retired from running LaveCon is because um, our event organizing is is kind of do, going in a slightly different direction. So we've just secured uh, World Fantasy Con, the international gaming or oh, the international book convention um, for Birmingham in 2025 which karen is going to chair so um that was pretty amazing and she spent uh most of the That's weekend in the uk i'm assuming yeah, yeah 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 so it's the first time it's been over here for about 12 years so it was in brighton back in so it's quite apt tonight you know if we're thinking about 10 years since um you know since uh, uh the kickstarter it's um uh quite apt to sort of World Fantasy Con, the last time it was here, it was in Brighton uh, back about 2012, I think, something sometimes around there. So 10 or 12 years. Um, and then, um, so she spent a weekend hanging out with Charlene Harris, I, the writer of True Blood, Charlene Harris, and Cassandra Clare, the writer of Mortal Instruments, and, you know, and all sorts of amazing people. Um, for me, so I've had a, a work change, which is has been pretty cool. So I now work for the Ministry of Defence, um, in a seconded project. Uh, you could tell us what you did do, but then you'd have yeah. to shoot us or something. Well, it's okay. It's official rather than top secret. But I, I basically, I coordinate a research project on science fiction writers talking to the, the Ministry of Defence about what what we're going to face in the next 100 years. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm basically coordinating discussions between groups of amazing science fiction people and uh yeah experts in um in in fields in in the mod and you know and it's uh it's that pretty cool kind of interesting yeah it's that, pretty cool that does sound um, remarkably interesting and potentially we're all gonna die <laughs> well it, it's or, or hopefully uh, not no i could you know I mean, some of it's quite hopeful, some of it's quite, you know, <laughs> not so hopeful. But, uh, yeah, it, you know, it's a fascinating, fascinating kind of setup and, you know, very different to what I, I have been doing. Um, oh, yeah. And then what other stuff is just uh, this week? Um, going through, I'm doing some more writing at the moment, so I'm working on some things for some submissions at the moment. I've got quite a lot of things that are in the pipeline um which i had to do over the summer uh those are all finished now but yeah i've, I've been sort of pitching out to a couple of things did a couple of pitches for some was invited to pitch for a tv series uh on amazon which i can't tell you what it is uh but i've pitched for two episodes so 
you know, we might see something happen there. Don't know. Uh, yeah, it's all... yeah, I know you can't, can't confirm or deny this, but I would love to see. I bet you could do some damn good Black Mirror kind of things. Mm, yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I can. I can see you doing some good stuff for that, but I can't yeah. say. I know you can't commit on. Yeah, you know, no. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, I mean, it's 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 pretty pretty exciting, you know, and it is at that kind of level, you know, which is is you know, and I'll be honest about that. It is at that kind of level, so you know, mm. which is. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, so, I, you know, I mean, it, it kind of, and I'll talk about this a little bit more later, it kind of filters in when when we were sort of saying that um, tonight would be a little bit about thinking back 10 years. Um, it kind of fits in with that moment, uh, which is quite quite interesting. So, yeah. Right, and Alec, I know you barely made it, so why don't you tell us what you've been up to? I, I can't compete with all of that. I think the most exciting <laughs> thing I did this week was had a pub lunch at a Weatherspoons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in game more I've exciting been, than what I've done. <laughs> in game, I've been doing quite a bit. I went out to finally see one of these stargoids because I figured, well, they're going to get here pretty soon, and then we won't be able to go out and see them. So I thought I'd better go out and see them. So I did that and got some amusing screenshots of you know stargoids in my palm of my hand and that kind of thing uh, but yes we have we'll probably talk about this later but we have a new buckyball race coming up Woohoo! so um yeah i only just made the show because i've been building lots of ships and then transferring them all to the start line so i can get practicing <laughs> yeah uh and I, I, I did dabble in the cg as well and just got my 75 yes. percent um uh down down with azimuth boo boo Yes. Um, yeah, like, like. so, as I said earlier, Alec managed to beat me with his pub lunch. I think the, the excitement of my week was probably going to Lidl. Um, yes. And, and got, Lidl. I've heard the middle at Lidl yeah. is very exciting. I, I, I was very pleased to get some cottage cheese for Lidl. From, uh, from Lidl, sorry. Um, so that, that, was, that, was, that was exciting for me. Um, and I also had a heart attack when I saw that their butter has gone up by 50 pence, which is almost a quarter. Oof. Actually, it was more than a quarter. It went up from, I think, £1.40 something, I think, last time I got some stuff from them. And it's now two quid, or £1.99. So that, that was like, holy sh... You know, it's like, you know, if anyone's going to have butter for under £2, it's going to be little. And they did, but only by a penny. I, I, miss, I miss your help, Ben. I really do. Well, these are important things that we need to know. Yeah, I, I, I needed this in my life, clearly. <laughs> I, I'm guessing two two pound butter is nothing. I'm guessing Alan, with his um, end, end of end of days scenario planning, knows full well that butter is going to be ten pounds by the end of the year. <laughs> oh, I, I was seeing stuff, and I don't I don't know the truth of it, but it's like you know, this time last year we were paying twelve pounds for this. Now we're paying a hundred. Yeah, we're sorry that your your meal has gone up by a dollar. Yeah, rather, I should say it, we're, we're doomed. We're just going to have to find a way to permanently plug into um, Elite Dangerous, where credits are really not an issue anymore. <laughs> I, I, I like this as an idea. It would be good, wouldn't it? Maybe we can all wear um, Palmer Lucky's new headset that explodes your brain if you actually get killed. <laughs> yeah, I, I read that. It looked like it's got basically three three sort of pistons, doesn't it? That just shatter your skull. Why on earth did anybody make that? Goodness me. <laughs> I, I've missed this. The what? 
Palmer Pal- Lucky's made a VR headset that kills you if you die in game. And that's legal? I missed that. I'm not sure. I, I'm not quite sure of the status. I mean, I'm sure I, so many, I, I've heard it from so many different sources that it's definitely a thing. Well, the, and, the image, and, yeah, the, the image is, is of a VR headset with these three prongs on sort of set just above your forehead. And it looks like essentially that they're, you know, they're, des- they're designed to, to, to kind of fire something directly into your scalp <laughs> and crack your skull. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about VR and yeah, as as Alec mentioned, he was he was doing some of the CG. I too have been doing the CG and uh but I've done it I've done all the pew pew stuff exclusively in VR and had a whale of a time doing that. Yeah. Although, we up, which was rare. We, we 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 did have a hookup, didn't we, Alec? Briefly. Yeah. Just you know, don't tell our don't tell our wives. <laughs> um but yeah, I I had a virtual hookup with Alec and we had lots of fun with that. Um, and then also bumped into a couple of other people and did some more pew-pew with them. But I've made it into the top 50, and I've been trying to push to get the top 25 um, because, because, as you say, boo to Azimuth. Um, but I've had... It's, it's been tough, given my um, available time, to get into that top 25. So I don't know if I'm going to make it or not, but I will try. Right. Anyway, I think it's time... I, as far as I'm aware, none of us are in game this evening. I know with with me not, neither being Colin nor Psykit, I'm not flying around in game. And you lovely people on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook and Twitter have to put up with Norman playing some postage stamp sized replays. So yeah, I'm sorry about that, but I, I'm not in game at the moment. And so and I don't know if Alec is even in-game, and if he's not, he's nowhere near Lave. Right, yeah, I was. I was at the start line of the Buckyball race, but I've logged out because so you've, I, you've I, logged I, out. I wanted to give you guys my full attention. Oh, bless you. <laughs> well, um, 90% and 10% of this <laughs> whiskey that I've got next to me. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, since we're not in-game, you can obviously talk to us on Twitch and on Discord. And on, you can talk to us all, all of the places where we're streaming, and Restream will do its magic and collate everything in together, and then we'll probably ignore you anyway. But we might say hi if we, if if I'm looking at the screen, and it's still there, and it's relevant, and I feel like it, and I'm not interrupting anyone, then I might respond. But otherwise, I'll probably not. I'll probably ignore you anyway. But hi anyway. Uh, right. So shall we go on to the development news? Oh, and co- crashes in Colonia. Are you in game in Colonia, though, John? I I literally logged out just as we started, but I can go back in and wave at people. <laughs> well, if Twitch, I believe you're in Twitch, aren't you? In chat, aren't you, John? Yes, so yes I'm if, if the channel if channel wants you to go to Colonia and to come out and say hi, then I'm sure you can do so. But let's let's go on to the development news anyway. So on Thursday we had Arf and Sally with the usual. Um, tw- their usual stream. They were basically. Did anyone else catch it, or was it just? I saw it. Were you, it was good. you were there, weren't you? So yeah, it was a good fun stream. Um, I really did like. Yeah, you know, I think the Arf and Sally bits were they were pretty standard, weren't they? There wasn't anything new and exciting in their own bits. No, no, the usual overview of screenshots, and um, yeah, it, it was fine, but it was nothing. It, it, it was it was part of the course. 
Uh, although they, they had been relegated to the old studio because Planet Coaster was having its anniversary in the main room, uh, or the main studio, I, should, I suppose I should say. Uh, but they did have a lovely pre-recorded chat with LCU No Fool Like One, which was awesome. Uh, and that was, a, that was a lovely chat about Thargoids and all, all, of, all of that good stuff. Yeah, it was very funny. Um, I, I really liked the way, but particularly for anyone that's actually met LCU in person at LaveCon and knows what a, you know, lovely, shy, retiring chap he is, to, to hear him sort of putting down Bruce a couple of times was just... <laughs> was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, also, that, that, that interview did get captured um, or hyperdicted or something like that, three, basically as they're wrapping up. So Frontier have put that up as its own little thing uh, for you to watch. But then, I don't want to say better than LCU, but it was lovely because it was in person. Uh, Laughing Crow Crow had come over from the US and he'd managed to sneak his way into Frontier Towers. And it was just just had a lovely chat between him and Arf. I I don't want to... I might get this wrong. I might get a tear of myself. Mm -hmm. Is this just the show notes? Isn't it? Isn't it Grinning Crow? Or no, I'm pretty sure it's Laughing Crow. Okay, all right. Um, I, I, I'm going to. Yes, it is definitely Laughing Crow. I'm clicking on his if, on his yeah. chat now. If you if you hover over the the note in the show notes, Alec, it um, it says Laughing Crow Twitch. Uh, so the link is directly to. Um, Fine. To is the, there a very well known Grinning? I'm so confused now. I should. Because yeah, a few other have... people are saying Grinning Crow. So. Who's Grinning Crow and who's Laughing Crow and what's the difference? This is where we need Psychids because she does all the Twitch things. And I know she's in game. Um, and no, she's not in game. I know she was in chat, uh, but I know she's also entertaining to be tater tots. So. Okay, I, I seem to be vindicated on, in, in Twitch. I think it's Grinning Crow. Yeah. I've no Grinning, idea who this okay. Laughing Crow bloke is. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the link that's, that's in the show notes points to, to a Laughing Crow Twitch. So, uh, um, I, I I will blame the research. There, there are many there are many crows and grinning is not laughing apparently. Yeah. Uh, so I will I will have to go and fi- fix that. So um, I don't want to do that just now. Could somebody make a note on the show notes? who's not me telling me to do something there. Yeah. Um, thank you. So on Saturday the fifth of November, uh, we also had the ten year anniversary of the dangerous Kickstarter um, and. Yeah, well, before the show, that made everybody feel very, very scary and old. I was like, yeah, gosh, you know, I was like, I was still in my 30s back then. And, and, and I had only one, one child um, and various other things. Um, you know, it it's, been a, it's been a busy, busy 10 years. Say I'm old in grey. My my youngest was in nappies. He's now in secondary school. Or what? What happened? <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, still... my, yeah, yeah. Vivid memories. Yeah. Good. I still I still remember good, rushing, good times. rushing downstairs in my PJs when David tweeted. I was like, yes, yes, quick, log on. To something. <laughs> good times. Good times. And uh, just for note, both Karash and I are now busy posting in the Kickstarter comments page. <laughs> as soon as I saw the link, I thought, I've got to have to go put it out. I haven't read yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I thought, I thought, similar. 
<laughs> Are you going to jaunty up? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I can play some arts. <laughs> that'll, that'll do. I'll get some arts. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was... Um, but, I mean, I, I was... I saw the initial announcement back on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and I, I was perusing some of the original comments then, and I have to admit, I loved how one of the comments from the very beginning of just the kick of before the Kickstarter was even announced, someone was like, Raxler? <laughs> Brilliant. Because of course, you know, we've we've been hankering after that since the eighties. Well, yeah, we can we can talk more about that a little bit later if you want. We well, we will probably get in there, I guess. Um so uh, there's also yeah, so also BBC articles. There's lots of articles actually, and and things at the time. They did they did have fairly good publicity about the Kickstarter, and obviously it all made it and everything's well. We're we're ten years on now, so wow slash eek, I guess is is what I would go with that. Um, on Monday we had usual discovery cha- uh, scanner, and that was you know, there was a couple of important announcements in there, which was. Uh, apparently, Saturday, some commanders were attempting to out- access the galaxy via Steam um, and were facing an issue where the Steam login was saying, was basically saying, you've got to purchase slash redeem this. And Frontier are saying, we are aware that this issue has been encountered sp- sporadically, both before and, pr- before, and primarily advise that, should it happen again in the future, that you do not take action against your account uh, account linking in order to independently fix the issue, but await further information via official Elite Dangerous channels as to when communication between Steam and the Galaxy has been restored. So, I don't play um, Elite via Steam. I've never had this issue, but I'm guessing you know Frontier was saying nope, and people have have found a fix. But I guess that that fix goes off and cocks some other things up at Frontier's end. I suspect. Um, and so they're, they're saying, don't do it, please. I'm I'm kind of concerned there because I do have my secondary account set up on the Steam Deck, so I'm kind of thinking I should go check that and make sure I can log in. <laughs> um, and Frontier also wanted to make a point of saying that Update 14 is still marked for release at the end of November, so even though they haven't come out this week and it's explicitly said that... It's coming at the end of November. It is still coming at the end of November, honest. Um, and there's been no further. Uh, they'd like there's been no change to the schedule, and they will get a note and note of the date soon. TM. Uh, and I think that's really about it as far as anything coming out of Frontier. Um, has, has anybody else noticed anything? I haven't, and I'm assuming you haven't. Nope. I think that was it. Right. So. In, in, as far as in-game events is concerned, we've got, uh, on the 2nd of November, there was the, the whole article about Peace of the Thargoids, which is something that I'm, you know, I, I'm, as you guys all know, I'm f- firmly in the camp of. Um, I'm not going to do a column and read it all out unless anyone wants me to. Uh, but Alec, you wanted to say something about Peace with Thargoids. No, it, I was just backtracking slightly, but there was a comment um, mm-hmm. from Nopolis. Uh, which I found amusing, which was about Frontier's news this week, which was announcement. The announcement of the announcement has not been postponed. <laughs> yes, that's, that is very, very true. 
Sorry. Oh, yeah. that, that's that's an improvement over their usual communications. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, Siberius is saying that his his Steam thing is working. Uh, there was a minor update uh, during one day last week, apparently. Just just on that, in relation to to comms, um, mm-hmm. I think it's it's worth bearing in mind, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna make this a, a kind of too serious a point, but it it, it is worth bearing in mind. People send um, when you're when you're when you're running something when you're you know when you're running a, a project or a, a, an event or a thing or a game or anything else. People send in some of the silliest questions, the absolute silliest questions. So things like, you know, we we recently put a um, the the British Science Fiction Association's got its awards. Um, for, you know, we we've just put our nominations list up so we put the nominations list up and you know and we know the nominations list it says on the on the thing it's open till the end of december and it's for this and for that and immediately we get a a message saying well can, can i nominate a self-published thing the there's the awards guidelines are right there of course you can doesn't say you can't of course you can well um you know uh can we do this it says right there so actually sometimes you get even even though you kind of as a you know as a as a person on the outside you kind of look at it and go oh no one's going to ask that because it's it's in the information sometimes people do you know mm. and sometimes those communications that say no 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 we haven't postponed anything we'd have said if we'd postponed anything we're just confirming with you we haven't postponed anything is because somebody has started emailing them to say have you postponed it? Oh, I've got. I, I'll tell my friends. You know, so they they're basically trying to head something off. You know, or or just reassure somebody and pat them on the head a little bit because they've sent something in that you know that, that, that they're worried about. I I bet it's yeah. something like that. You know, in terms of what's there. So yeah, no, I'm not. I I didn't want to make it. You know, pour cold water on them. Uh, on the fact that it yeah it does very much seem like a message to confirm a message that was already confirmed as a message. But sometimes it's because, you know, they're getting those kind of responses in the in the background. John, yeah, it's it's the trouble with communications, isn't it? It's it's surprising, even if you put it in big bold seventy two point font, someone somewhere has got them. Yeah. And, and and honestly, and that's not a crit of that person either, because no. we've all done it. We've all sat there and, I mean, you know, we, we, we've all sat there and, and tried to do something and, and then gone, ah, oh, it says there I can't go through this door because it says pull, not push. Or, you know, <laughs> this is a, this is an entrance, not an exit. Why, why do I keep thinking the door's going to open? You know, we've all done that kind of stuff. And actually, sometimes it, it just, you know, it's a little bit of a, uh, a statement that's a bit of a pat on the head and go, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you want to read the sign? Oh yeah, yeah, you've read the sign. Good, good. Bye. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, we have all. I mean, we make fun of them for for doing the announcement of the announcement of the announcement, but they're doing that because people are always asking and they're always so impatient. Yeah, yeah, exactly that, exactly that. It will have been somebody going, oh, but but does this mean this? No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. impatient slash enthusiastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is very true as well. What Commander Terakoff is saying—that random, random speculation does spread—and yeah. you've got the whole Chinese whispers thing. And it's like, you know, I, I'll say this, and then you take what I say as gospel, and suddenly it's like, 
Ben Ben suspected this too. Well, I heard that Arth said this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hold, no, you hold, didn't. Hold that thought because we're coming back to exactly that that topic. I think in a little bit once. Uh, yes. Once we get down to the main discussion. So yeah, hold that thought about. Hold that thought. Filling the void with speculation. Yep. So yeah. Anyway, so on on the second, so that would be Tuesday on Wednesday or Thursday of last week. I think it was Wednesday. Um, we had the whole piece of Thargoid thing where a bunch of folks coming together and hugging trees and talking about the possibility of, of piece of the Thargoids. Um, I'm really not going to read this because Pete Wotherspoon does it so much better than I do. And if you're not watching Galnet News Digest, you're kind of doing it wrong, frankly. Sorry. Not sorry. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we've got piece of Thargoids being talked about, which is awesome. Uh, on Thursday, no, the third, that's, yeah, the third was, indeed Thursday, yes, we had a set of three CGs coming in, so we had Azimuth are basically looking to get a bunch of stuff in so they can go off and expand their bases, but then we've got a bunch of other people who are on the side of truth and justice and liberty for all, and they're wanting to say, no, Azimuth, you're naughty, but then Azimuth are also wanting to say, Please, we want we need to get our stuff in. So we've got three CGs going off, one one to basically deliver stuff, and then two opposing CGs to to stop that. And we've got a nice little war zones going on. Um it's last time I checked, which hasn't been today because I've been busy doing real life and then show life, but it the war zones were looking pretty damn close. Um and Alec, what are you wanting to say? I was just gonna say, I was just thinking about these CGs and we have the two opposing um, combat CGs, of course, because there needs to be two two sides in the in the combat zone. Yeah. I was thinking about the trade CG, the fact that Azimuth ha- has two, and and the anti Azimuth only has one. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be neat if Frontier did an anti trade CG where you had to interdict NPC trade ships and blow them up? I would love that, but my God, it would be a right pain to do. Would it? I, I don't think Frontier have got the. I don't think they've got the mechanisms in place to detect the tonnage of cargo blown up. I guess. I guess also the problem is there. There isn't really enough trade ships to satisfy a thousand ravenous commanders looking to <laughs> interdict trade ships. You know, you yes. can bundle <laughs> into a CZ and, and shoot other ships to your heart's content. Yeah, and the, these are things that Frontier have in place but, that they can just drop in and put a story around. Yeah, interesting though. It just struck me that there was no opposition. Mm. I, 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 would, I would love it, and it, it reminds me of during one of the first CGs um, where um, oh, they were building the um, some of the, the Federation war zones and a bunch of people, myself included, not war zones, the, the carriers, uh, a bunch of people, myself included, didn't like the Federation doing this. So they would basically did their own sort of, they were hi- uh, hyperdict or interdicting rather people who were doing the, the CG and RPing piracy in it to, to stop the CG from happening, even though obviously it's just a dip in the ocean and, and things like that. But it was still a lot of fun. Yeah, um, yeah. And was 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 that Lou? Ooh, might have been. That sounds. It might have been Lou, but I can't remember off the top of my head. Alan, what are you wanting to say? I was just going to say, if you wanted to do um, something related <coughs> to 
if you wanted to do something related to anti-trade, then I mean, it would depend on how how well the system maps stock. So what you could do is, if you know that the trade goal is to a specific location, um, then basically trade out all the regions around that specific location oh, in terms brilliant. of their supplies. Love it. Mm-hmm. Buy, up, buy up all the stuff they're trying to yeah. ship and, and yeah. sell it. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Sell it elsewhere. And then, yeah. then, then what you're doing is you're not, you know, it's not a combat um, because, you know, sometimes with these things, I mean, um, we can get locked into the idea of competitive goals always being focused around combat. Actually, if you, you know, if you do it that way, you can, you can make sure that um, it's, it's competitive, but it's not combat based. No, you're right. Yeah. That's lovely. I mean, and yeah. that happens for real with them. Um, you know, if you're using EDDB on a trade CG, yeah. you, you do see those stocks, you know, oh, they drop, plummet. and then yeah. you have to pick somewhere else and then that drops. Then you have to pick yeah. somewhere yeah. else. So doing yeah. that to the NPCs. I love it. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. They go frontier. Yeah. You, you, get, you get that for free. Unless Alan wants to charge you. <laughs> hey, hey, I haven't been working there for ten years. <laughs> Clearly, I've, I've still got it. You know, this is. Yeah. This is <laughs> um, so on Friday, yeah, yeah, no, uh, yes, Friday. Um, Frontier, or rather, Gaudet News caught up with what the rest of us were saying, and like, oh my god, the Sargoids are coming to to the core systems, and I was like, yeah, congratulations, guys. We've been saying that for the past month. Yeah. But, you know, hey, Professor Yarrow Kenyatta, who is apparently a noted academic and things like that, they're, they're saying that they're coming, so maybe that makes it official. I don't know. But, yeah, so they're, they're officially going to the core systems. We, 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 we know this. Um, on Monday, yes, on Monday, there was a Xeno Peace person who was elected to the op- opposition in the Federal Congress. So, you know... It's nice, I guess, that we're getting all these peace things coming in, um, and we'll be coming back into that in the main topic, I guess. So I'll leave that there. Um, yeah, but yeah, it is. I guess it's 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 a nice little storyline and things like that. I'm love. I have to. I am loving. I am loving it, and that's part of the reason, I guess, why it's going to be our main topic. So we'll just drop it like a hot potato. Um, so I believe, Norman, we are approaching that time of day. Store alert! store alert this week we have probably one of the best babylon 5 episodes of season five which was the day of the dead um although that's what that's not quite what these are about um yes i'm still watching babylon 5 um neil gaiman wrote that one neil gaiman wrote that one and neil gaiman is 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 awesome and seems like a lovely person as well from what i can tell um and currently separating from his wife that was the I, I I was on I was unaware of that, but okay. Um, 
So yeah, we've got the Day of the Dead uh, bobbleheads and lights. Now, if I remember correctly, the lights were already there, weren't they? The sugar um, skulls were as well, like it said. Well, okay, sugar skulls. All, so there are three sugar skulls. There's the the white one wearing a lovely red hat. There is a red skull wearing a straw straw hat. Looks like a sort of. It's like that that Sombrero? hat that you see made into a taco. Is it similar? That's the word. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just remember seeing it on. I wanted to say something like The Simpsons, where Homer was basically busy, you know, having too much fun with his hat that was filled with Joe um, <laughs> filled, filled with um, sour cream and, I guess, various other things like that. Probably yeah, nacho cheese. Sorry, but um, and then there's a lovely blue one that kind of looks like a weird blue, but it looks awesome. Um, so yeah, that. They're right and available for your purchasing with your arcs, should you so desire. Uh, and it's of any interest to you guys? Yeah, I got one. I, I really like these, actually. I, I thought, um, I don't know why I didn't get one before. I got the white one. I, I, while, I, while we were on this, I just wanted to say there's a, there's a great forum thread hosted by uh, Gojen. title of the, the thread is The Story Behind Each Sugar Skull Bobblehead. And it's just got a little bit of sort of backstory on um, on on the meaning of the different colours, and um, you know, within oh. the tradition of um, Dia de la Mortis. So it's really interesting. Good little bit of backstory. Would, would you, could you be so kind as to shove that link into the, into the show notes, and we can share it with people? Absolutely. Yeah, because you were foolish enough to mention it. Because I like that. I that yeah, that, that's fabulous. That's that's a really really um, uh, really nice touch. Yeah. So, yeah. so for example, the white one um, stands for purity. White is found in many of the items for Day of the Dead: candles, sugar skulls, tablecloths, and white flowers used to create paths. The meaning symbolizes purity, hope, and death. And white can also symbolize the innocence of the souls of babies. There you go. I'll post the link. Some good stuff. Yeah. yeah no, that, that would be also if you could get that into the show notes before I go and post, make them live for everyone else. Um, so. Anyone else say anything about about these before I ask for an advert break? I kind of want to know what the red one is now. I'm going to read this link. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you read that in your own time then. Okay. Uh, so in that case then, Norman, could you please have an advert break? This is Lave Radio. From the makers of the MB5 Shaving Drone comes the latest in personal grooming technology. Here at Saracen, we've heard your request loud and clear. You want something new. Applying all the recent technological advances. Introducing the Panther Clipper. Gone are the days of your unruly body hair making you look like a bedraggled alpaca. The Panther Clipper is the biggest, baddest shaver credits can buy. A shave so smooth it'll shave 10 milliseconds off your buckyball time. The new Panther Clipper from Saracen. It's exactly what you've been asking for. Protecting settlements from villainous scum, it's Settlement Patrol Man. The action figure every child wants. Wearing the all-new Manticore Dominator suit with light-up jump assist thrusters. Press his backpack to hear Settlement Patrol Man speak. Not seen you around here before, Commander. Is that a Karma P-15 in your pocket, or are you just pleased to see me? Hey, don't point that at me. 
when the Harm Sound Settlement Patrolman rides into action in his surface reconnaissance vehicle with pop-up turret and glow-in-the-dark wheel trims. Settlement Patrolman. Surface reconnaissance vehicle and action figure sold separately. Available from branches of Lathe Toy Depot and other retailers. Microelectrode, ion battery, and circuit switch not included. Lave Radio, broadcasting to every corner of the galaxy. We all know what it's like. You're busy managing your settlement when suddenly the alarms go off. Oh no, not again. That's right. A commander with a Federation naval rank of Admiral, an Imperial King no less, has landed in a ship worth over 100 million credits and is killing all your staff while they look around for a 10-credit adhesive to glue an upgraded scope to their 100,000-credit assault rifle. They fly away with their super glue and you're left with a problem. How are you going to get your agricultural plant back up and running? How am I going to get my plant up and running? How are you going to find staff at short notice? How am I going to find staff at short notice? How are you going to deal with all those bodies? There's bodies everywhere. And they've stained the carpet. Wonder no longer. Call Ari's Crime Scene Cleanup Services. Hello, I'm Harry. Clary's mine. After a sudden increase in robberies and murders by commanders since 3307, I've gained valuable expertise in cleaning up bodies, recruiting new staff and restocking stationary lockers. Now you can benefit from my experience by signing up to our Crime Scene Cleanup Service subscription plan. That's right. For only a small monthly fee, when your settlement alarms are activated, our rapid response cleanup crew will be dispatched, along with our patented Cadaver Scoop 150. The Cadaver Scoop 150 can be mounted to surface reconnaissance vehicles and skimmers to make tidying up your settlement a breeze. Wow. The bodies are gone. Our recruitment team has potential new employees on standby across the galaxy, ready to fill your vacant roles in security, logistics, administration, processing, and more. My plan's operational again. Thanks, Aries Crime Scenes Cleanup Services. Aries Crime Scene Cleanup Services. We'll have your settlement as good as new before the next ship arrives. Kadamar Scoop 150 disposal bags sold separately. I don't know about you guys, but I could tell that everyone here really enjoyed all those adverts. And I think these are these are new for you, uh, John and Alan. Yes. Yeah, totally. No, they're fantastic. <laughs> that yeah, well, we, we have our lovely Chris Mark for to thank for most, for for those. And yeah, yeah, and it's, it's funny because it's true. Right. Well, as we were alluding to a couple of seconds ago, uh, we've. Things have gone a little bit alien of late, so I'm going to mix things around a little bit, maybe in the in the from the the the, the notes. But we are going to we're going to have a little bit of an alien chat. So I'm thinking actually, probably best thing to start would be alien presences back in 1984 in the original Elite. You know, we we've all played it, so we can all comment there. All I can remember really is. Um, flavor text, I guess, that was procedurally generated, and then if you happen to do the wrong thing, getting attacked by Thargoids, and then of course you've got the here the wheel novel. Am we missing anything else than that as canon canon things? Well, um, to start with, it was the Dark Wheel, the novel. Um, uh, I like it. 
and Hear the Wheel, which John oh, Harper... Oh, that was another, that yeah, was another book, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, John, sorry. John Harper would be delighted oh, to know that he travelled back in time and wrote a book 20 years before he actually... <laughs> 30 years before he actually 30 did. 30 years, yeah. Um, Hyperspace, weird. Yeah, yeah, well well, well done, John. Wibbly-wobbly, um, wobbly type you over stuff. Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I mean, there, there were... There are a couple of ways to to access the um, the Thargoid content. Um, I had the game on the Amstrad, and um, in the end, I think I got something called a Game Genie, which was this this little thing that you plugged into one of the ports on your Amstrad, and it allowed you to to do some some hacks on on some of the the games that you had. And um, one of them, I think, if I remember rightly, was a a, a little tweak to Elite that. Um, made sure that you hyperspaced into which space and you could fight the Thargoids. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I quite enjoyed that because it was quite a, a test, you know, because there were usually three or four of them turned up at once and you had to, you know, to see if you could, you could take them out. Um, yeah, you know, there was another one that allowed you to use a missile to destroy a space station, uh, which was quite good fun. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, that was really was my in-game um, brush with them uh and then obviously the you know out of game you've got the the novella uh the whole stock novella yeah and i can't remember did the whole stock novella mention different factions of them yeah well you had you basically had the the premise of the um the the story was that um the 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 young commander you know who whose father had uh pushed him out into a um uh into an escape pod and then he you know he comes back and he he, he basically starts to to make his way up and he ends up trading this stuff that he thinks isn't yeah is is legitimate is basically is these creatures in in these uh these sleeping pods and it turns out they're immature thargoids um and that was you know that was part of the the kind of drop in as to um as to what it was but um yeah, I mean, you know, it kind of didn't really, it didn't develop, it wasn't what part of the main sort of thrust of the Dark Wheel. The Dark Wheel's main thrust was um, the secret organization uh, and Raxler and, you know, the Dark Wheel itself, rather than necessarily the aliens. But the aliens were definitely a, a thing. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and I can't, I know back then, and then again in the run up to it, I. I read so much old elite fiction and also a bunch of the fan fiction that uh, Selzen and Drew had written as part of um, Ulite stuff, essentially. And it's sort of sitting there all mixed up and what's actually canon and what's their stuff. And obviously both of them have tried to make their stuff canon as well. Um, so I, I get confused as to who's what's what there. Um, Alex, yeah. what are you wanting to? Sorry, Gallon. Yes, no, go on, go on. Sorry, go yeah, on. I, I was just going to say because because this is interesting. I mean, I had 1984 Elite, as I'm sure many of our listeners did, and I read The Dark Wheel. But it has been a very, a very long time. So I, I was just googling, and I found the um, the source text in a PDF. I'm quite surprised. I have to admit about the description of Thargoids, because we're used to them being very um, separate in Elite Dangerous. You know, we, we don't even know what they look like. We've seen their ships, mm -hmm. and that's about it. Uh, this bit of text, which I'll just read a paragraph really quickly, um, obviously not canon anymore, but... <laughs> 
there are basically Thargoids pretty much at the bar in the space station. <laughs> and one of the characters is going, Thargoids, here in the space station? Thargoids were deadly. Thargoid spaces had their fear glands removed and were considered to be effective and potent of humankind's enemies. The bounty for killing a Thargoid was huge and for capturing and delivering the juvenile form, the Tharglet, to space navy research, even greater. What are they doing here? <laughs> you know, the idea that you'd sort of have two Thargoids And the bar in Leaf Station. Yeah, standing next to you at a bar in a station in Elite Dangerous is so bizarre now. That's funny. Yeah, uh, no, no. I mean that that's that's great. It, it gives a you know gives a very clear idea in that. Um, I mean, it, there's there's kind of two sides. I mean, the, I, I did a I did a presentation on some of this um, a few years ago where you can see the you can see the influence because of course Tharg the Mighty um, <laughs> as a as a you know an editorial character um, amidst the you know the panels of 2000 AD was you know was a you know, there was a visual image. There was, you know, there was stuff. So there's, there's clearly um, kind of inspiration, intertextual reference because Tharg Thargoids. Um, you've obviously then got, and um, you know, speaking from a little bit of experience of writing something whilst you're playing with an alpha or a, a you know, a pre-release version of a computer game. You've then got Robert Holstock sitting there and going, "Okay, well, there's all these cool things that are going to be in the game, right?" Uh, some of them he's played, and some of them he's you know he's he knows what they are. But then there's all this this list of stuff, and so you know he's he's going to try and work on some of that. He's going to try and put some of that into into what's there because you know we know that actually Tharglets became a name for the uh, for the subships, didn't they? And you know rather than uh, the, the the immature forms, um, could be that that's synonymous. Could be that it you know it was both at the time, um, but you're basically working off hints you know you're working off those couple of extracted paragraphs you're working off a ship listing in the 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 manual you're working off the fact that you you know occasionally you go into um to hyperspace and it goes wrong and suddenly these ships are attacking you and oh my god there's loads of them and they seem to spawn sub ships and oh my god oh my god you know so it's all yeah it's all sort of designed to give you hints but not to give you the whole explanation and that's that's the proto idea of what we've got now um I, it was very much dialed back in um in frontier elite 2 because people recognized you know design people recognized and you know and you got a bit of a split between because i i mean i don't know if you guys can but i can clearly see which bits are david braben's and which bits are ian bell's now um i know exactly who who came up with cute furry cats uh, mm -hmm. sentient cute fairy cats and stuff, you know, I mean, that, that kind of thing is, is Maury and Bell and, you know, the, the kind of slightly more austere, um, uh, harder science fiction is more David Braben. In Frontier Elite 2, it was quite clear that there was a recognition that the moment of alien contact between, uh, between humans and something else was really important. And so by dialing back all the kind of, I guess, and I, I'm not using this in a, a derogatory way, but, but the kind of Star Trek cosmopolitan galaxy, by dialing that back, what you actually do is you heighten the focus on that moment of contact. And, you know, I'm aware that they were completely absent pretty much in Frontier Elite 2. It wasn't until First Encounters we started to actually get some of that content. But 
the point there being is that that need it needed that gap to kind of get through to that. Yeah. No. Yeah. I was, um, I was, I was gonna say I, I absolutely oh, agree with can that. I, before you dive into into that, John, I just wanted mm. to say about in in the Robert Holstock thing. One of the things I love about it is it was a much darker portrayal of the station than what we currently have in Elite Dangerous. And, you know, I, I could see unwanted entities, shall we say, not necessarily Thargoids, but, you know, sneaking in round the back of the Coriolis and smuggling themselves into the station a bit like the Shadows on Babylon 5. And, you know, maybe not hanging out and having drinks, but I like the idea of Thargoids setting up surreptitious presences on in the dark corners of a station so they could go and do something perhaps later on. And yeah, I, I, um, and we, we just don't, we don't get this as an option in the currently dangerous, whereas basically you're out and you're straight into a concourse. And obviously we can put our own law themes onto that, you know, with, you know, okay, well, you're, your gypsies, your travellers, you you can go there and you're only going there and you're not getting into the station proper is my headcanon for it. But I loved the original descriptions. And John, I guess, if you want to come in? Yeah, yeah, no, no, that, that's still... Um, I, I was just agreeing with what I'm saying. I, I like what they did with um, Frontier. I think I had a bit, a bit of a strange introduction to the, to the series because I was a bit too young to understand... 84 and get my head around it so i kind of watched my dad play it but that was about it so mm-hmm. the first real uh, leap for me was uh, on the amiga frontier 2 and there was something about that eerie nature that you expected something to be there but you never really saw anything there was the hints there was the you know the secret military bases where you would see a crashed thargoid and stuff but that was it there was and it, it always kind of put me on edge in a way thinking like something might happen but there was just the, the subtle suggestions of something being out there, but no kind of in-your-face, uh, you, you know, stuff like you said in, in flavor text in 84. And, and I kind of preferred that, to be honest. It was kind of uh, a bit creepy. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Alec? Yeah, just the same, really. I mean, you know, what Alan was saying, I think that it, I, I, I agree with the, the decision, you know, it's far better to to let it play out in this subtle way. I mean, you, you think of the mileage that that we've had in Elite Dangerous of and of, of, gra- of the gradual approach of the Thargoids, and, and you know, replace that with the original, which was a double take across a bar. I think they've they've got far better mileage from it. So, I think just to just to pick up one of your themes there, Ben. So, if you take, and I know Babylon Five is a you know, a, a, a formative text for you, and is you know is is really kind of important in in the way in which you know you you enjoy science fiction. Babylon Five is very much a dark version of Star Trek. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, whereas Elite, apart from the pilots, whereas Elite is um, its inspiration is drawn from two sources. Ian Bell is clearly um, influenced by Star Trek. David Braben is influenced by 2001. And so what you've got is you've got a game that is a, you know, because they've got to work together. You know, the, you know the, they're in the mid-1980s. You're trying to create the biggest um, possible flight sim game, you know, that's going to be a smash hit, that's going to go everywhere, is going to be on every possible personal computer. There's not a lot of 
um, you know, of, of kind of range difference at that point in time between Star Trek and 2001. But it's quite clear that um, there is a range difference, you know, in terms of what's there. There is a difference between this kind of cosmopolitan fantasy science fiction society and this very austere humans on their own, you know, um, the encounter with aliens is going to be this this big momentous thing. So, you know, they, they working together, you know, it wasn't necessarily a priority that, you know, all the ideas are across and you haven't got a lot of competition in the market. You've done incredibly well. Well done. Right. We're going back. Let's go do a second game. OK, this time we want to get the aesthetic a bit more towards, you know, one or the other. And I guess it depends on, you know, who's got the studio and who's got the, you know, the um, uh, the the kind of diligence to, to put the next game together. And that that was David Bregman. So we go down this moral steer route um, and. As you say, it's it, because of the absence, it has mileage. And actually, that's a theme we can pick up on uh, from then and we can pick up on from now. And it's quite surprising that it's a, a theme that transcends elite. It doesn't, you know, I mean, I'm not, not necessarily saying that you say Thargoids or Raxler to people who are, you know, not elite players. They might look at you a little bit you know, blankly, they might not. But the idea of hunting for clues, of tiny little bits of information leaving you lingering as to thinking that there's something more there, that is a, you know, that is a a big and powerful thing. And it's something that has certainly become more prevalent in um, in 21st century society. You know, nowadays, when there is an absence of information somebody fills the gap. So if you, you think outside of games, you think in any other environment, if you find out something's happened and you don't know why, somebody fills the gap with a story. Whether it's true or it's not true, they fill the gap with a story. And actually, we've learned that from our fiction because we're used to it from our fiction. And we've, we've applied it into our, you know, in, into, into non-fiction, as it were, into, you know, into to everything else. So... You know, I'm I'm a big um, supporter of the fact that people have continued to look for stuff and try to you know to investigate and try to find things and you know and and are, are still speculating as to where this or where that. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you're following your own story. I also think, and I don't know if you guys agree with me here, but it feels like today, in a, in sort of inverted commas. We've got a lot more people who are into deep diving in every single frame of a video or a, or, or a game, looking for every single tiny little nugget and Easter egg, and then bringing that up to the forefront, whereas I don't think anybody back in the 1980s gave a monkeys. Well, there's, there's also there's, um, something that we talked about a little bit, actually, in the design discussion when, um, you know, 10 years ago, was there was a worry, you know, and I, I articulated this worry to Michael Brooks at the time. There was a worry about creating a game that became a playground between two wikis. And it's something, actually, that I, I've articulated since on any, any game that I've worked on. Um, what you don't want to do you know, and you have to find tricks to make this happen. What you don't want to do is you don't want a game to become something where people 
go into it for information and then they post that to a wiki and then everyone's got that information um so they don't have to play the game anymore to get that information so you have to find and you know that's going to happen it is going to happen so you've got a wiki you know a design wiki in the background you know you you then invest hundreds of man hours into to people and uh, you know uh hundreds of hundreds of people hours i should say into you know the construction of um of devices of um code of objects of ais of all sorts of things in game to fulfill the 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 wonderful ideas from that wiki you throw it all out there one person plays it they post something up to a wiki and everybody else just reads the wiki and don't bother playing the you know the content you know you you absolutely have to try and find every trick in the book to stop that from happening um and to see games as you know as 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 spoiler as as cinema as you know um, as kind of having that kind of need for you know for that stuff, and part of that is is about you know the players getting that and going okay you know I want to I want to experience it properly, but it's also about keeping this element of partiality, not explaining everything, not you know not showing everything, keeping something back. Um, yeah, it's one of the reasons why I'm I'm really against um, in turn-based tactical games like Phoenix Point. I'm really against the idea of showing the hit points, you know, because it, it suddenly things aren't scary when they've only got one hit point left, you know, um, stuff like that, you know. Um, so this idea of, yeah, of partiality, of, of keeping a little bit back, of, you know, of doing that in throughout your design, I think is, is crucial. So essentially, you know, in, in game terms, any interaction that we had with with aliens in Elite was, was basically a hostile one. How was it in Frontier or Frontier First Encounters? Because, again, as you, as you guys all know, yep. I, I was busy doing university things then and didn't play either of those two games. So in First Encounters, you have a quandary in relation to, or at least there was an idea of a quandary in relation to whether the Thargoids were... Um, uh, uh, were actually... Um, what do you call it? Were actually your adversaries, or whether they, you know, whether they were on a side of good? There was a bit of a quandary. There was an agenda quandary, and that was interesting. Um, but unfortunately, a little bit of that narrative was kind of lost in the fact that the game, the, you know, the final missions were buggy, um, and you know, it wasn't delivered as a as a complete product. So you lost a little bit of whether you were going to make that decision to um, to use the fungus. Or whether you weren't going to make that decision to use the, the fungus being the mycoid virus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so um, you know, there's a uh, there's a choice there. Um, I'm just going to pick up Max's comment here, actually, and Alec mm-hmm. has, has has just quoted it. Stopping it is futile. Why even waste the energies? Just accept that someone's going to post the secrets. Many gamers will still want to experience and discover it themselves. Um, no. Okay, I'm going to just say <laughs> say no. Right. Um, it isn't futile. What you have to do is you have to think of a way in which you can allow for that that kind of questing investigation quality of players and still maintain the illusion. And you can do that. There are ways to do it. Um, if you build a you know if you build a game or you build a you know a thing and you 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 put a layer into it that becomes the layer of privileged information that people are going to to find 
then people will find that information and think that they have achieved their, you know, their kind of privileged goal and yay them, they're the first person to get there, you know, well done, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe you can hide something else in the background of something else. It, it's continually and often with these kind of developing intrigue narratives, it is often about just staying one or two steps ahead um, and however you can. Um, it, it is possible to do it. And it's not a waste of energy because by doing it, you perpetuate mythology, which keeps people talking about these, these, these things for 40 years. So it's clearly not a waste. You know, there are people who've come back to Elite Dangerous uh, a huge amount of times because of some mystery that they had in the first place. You know, right now there's, you know, and uh, this is this is my one area where I I stay, you know, quite well in touch at the moment is, you know, the quest to find Raxler continues and continues and continues. And it's great to see people speculating about it. You know, they're probably, you know, good, bad, wrong, right. It, it doesn't matter. The fact that they are, you know, they're, they're enjoying that journey. That's fantastic. Marlon, are you wanting to say it responds to Commander Thatcherino? Uh, always uh, what, what, what has he got here? Always wondered how you're talking um, about affected how the game progressed versus what had been planned. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of can. John, did you want to come in on something first? I, I was just going to agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that the mystery element is so damn important because, yeah. I mean, I think for, in... The one respect, I think when the Thargoid map room was first discovered, I remember I wanted to go see it, um, discovered a video, and as soon as that kind of mystery yeah. was uncovered, I, I lost all incentive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which was so frustrating because I, I really wanted to go do it, but then, you know, it's gone. And it's the same with other mediums as well. So it, things like uh, The Expanse, uh, you know, I really enjoyed the first first part of it as soon as it started to get to the point where like the mystery had gone it kind of teetered out for me and i didn't really want to watch it anymore you know so that yeah it's very important to keep that 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 like you said that mystery going and it, it it's not you know there are ways to do it it's not a a continual you know it's not we've got a mystery or we don't have a mystery there are ways you can build these things in terms of what's there um just to come in on um uh Thatchin, Thatchino's um point here in in, in terms of I, I think I've got the gist of what he's asked. So where I think things are at the moment, which kind of talks a, a little bit about what he's saying, I think actually where we are at the moment is I think that we've had and, and this is no one's no one's responsible for this in you know in and of itself. When you have different people or heads of um uh of story within a uh, a text um, when that handover happens, people go in different directions and they do different stuff and they, they, they establish different narratives and different parts and different different bits. I think where we are at the moment is there are you know a lot of ideas, a lot of things that have been put in at different times that have kind of tailed off to nowhere at different moments. And that's okay. You know, um I don't think they've um they've some of those things have not been uh, you know, not 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 been followed to their conclusion, as it were, and then someone else comes in and they've got a different way of interpreting it, and so on. And actually, what the players get is they get a lot of experiences of, well, I I, you know, I followed this, and then it doesn't go anywhere, and you know, I couldn't find the next stage, and he said to go out to this bit of space, but I can't find anything there, you know, and stuff like that. That's you know, I mean, it's slightly frustrating, but at the same time, it's understandable when you have you know, kind of change in in different things. I think. One of the things that's important now 
is that actually what you guys were talking about earlier in relation to the current storyline is that that demonstrates a level of engagement with story plot that's probably been, you know, one of the deepest levels of engagement with story plot that we've seen in Elite Dangerous, in, as in big plot, you know, overarching narrative um, in the game itself. I mean, there are one or two, you know, one or two sort of things that have come up at different times where characters have been introduced and stuff's happened and, and we've had this initiative and that initiative. But I really like the fact that what's going on at the moment is multifaceted. And it is asking for different sides. And I know we were we were kind of talking a little bit about uh, earlier, a little bit about whether it will go to its conclusion. I can we make peace with the Thargoids or not? Um, whether that is an actual outcome or isn't an actual outcome, the fact that it's being discussed and that it's you know that different opportunities are being um, you know being explored and speculated on is kind of the the important bit um, in terms of what. What we planned, I mean, I, you know, I didn't have a lot to do with the actual what what would be Raxler, what would be the Dark Wheel, what would be the Thargoids. I, you know, I, 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 I was privy to the the original Thargoid guidebook, uh, which was written by T. James, and you know, and I have that, um, so I know what T. James's uh, proposal for what the Thargoids would be because he was the concept writer for them. Uh, and then that book was taken away and scribbled all over by by the frontier folks who were in that discussion. Um, you know, I know what was in that book. Um, what you know, in terms of what we have in game, yeah, it's you know, it, most of most of those things are there. You know, in terms of of ideas, but also there are things in there that aren't there. Whether they're going to you know actually appear or not, I I don't know. Um, they could have been crossed out. You know, lots of stuff was crossed out. Um, you know, there was a variety of things that we, you know, that we sort of suggested. And the whole point was that we put suggestions forward so other people could scribble on them. That was exactly what we were there to do. We weren't there to, to go, this is how it should be. We were there to give a, okay, here's a way it could be. And then for other people to come in and go, no, actually, we don't like that bit. You know, um, we're going to change that. But at least they had something to hang it off of. Um, so it was, you know, very kind of positive, creative process uh in terms of what's there so uh, you know i mean in conclusion i'm i'm not disappointed with what is in game um if that um uh kind of makes sense but i do acknowledge that you know there have been a few people leading the story at different times and that that leads you to loose ends uh and to to different directions yeah i think I john think made John's microphone. oh did so, you sorry i <laughs> I, yeah, that that was from my earlier point. I was just vehemently agreeing with Alan. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Nodding yeah. along quietly. I would, and and I don't want to turn this into into Alan Alan monologues. <laughs> there, yeah, there was there was one other thing that I thought on this that I thought was was quite crucial, and yeah, the the point about the absence of information being spaces where people populate. Uh, you know, if if there isn't information there. Then people come in and they'll they'll spin a narrative and place a narrative within it. It is something that is a you know it, it's an exploit in that regard, and not not a it's not a you know it's not a game exploit as in it's not a you know we're not hacking a game, but a, in terms of 
when there isn't narrative available and people can, you know, can kind of come in and go, oh, well, you know, maybe it's this, you know, that is an opportunity to exploit um, a circumstance. And sometimes, and we're all guilty of it, sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing. Because if somebody comes in and goes, I found Raxler, you know, there'll be a dozen people that go, oh, you know, and, and go start, you know, they'll, they'll log in, get in their ship, tear off to a set of coordinates, try and figure it out, you know, or maybe a Photoshop screenshot comes up and they go, oh, I'm going to go and, you know. So, so it is an exploit. You can, you can do those kind of things and generate action in return. Um, you can also do it subtly. Um, you know, sometimes people use either the information that they have or the perception that they have more information than others. You see a lot as of a, yeah, as a as a kind of way to to kind of accrue status, and that's you know you 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 have to kind of over time. You know, we've had ten years now. Over time, you can kind of see those things happen at different times. You know, maybe that's that's cynical. Maybe they've got a reason for that. Maybe they want that status for something. Um, you know, I I don't know. You know, maybe they want to uh, to get a you know a group of people together to join their their crew and you know and and make sure they've got more more people in there. Um, their their particular faction or something, so they claim that they've got mysterious hidden knowledge. Those things happen, right? You know, those things happen. They you know they can be found out to be Ponzi schemes. They can be found out to be all sorts of different stuff. Um, but we have to acknowledge that when there's absence of information, there is opportunity for those kind of things to happen. Um, so it can be tricky. An investigation is not just about finding the facts; it's also about figuring out what's fraud and false yeah separating the truth from the fiction yeah yeah i know i know it was just the other day actually i saw somebody in the canon discord i think it was claiming that they were they were holding frontier to ransom because they'd found something out about the guardians (laughs) and apparently if they went off and did this thing about the guardians and they released the information then it would have driven the storyline forward with the Guardian, the Guardian storyline forward, but they weren't going to do so because Frontier, they wanted, they were basically trying to hold Frontier so that only the Imperial factions would get any tangible benefits out of it. I, I, and it's just I, like, what a load of... I, I've had hundreds yeah. of emails. I've had hundreds of emails from people going, you know, trying to get, you know, some sort of inside track or some sort of you know, uh, this or that. And, and that's okay. You know, and, and I, and I mean, I'm, I, I smile actually about it, you know, and it, it, it's, it's quite, it's quite nice. My PhD has been ransacked for the quotes <laughs> from the guidebooks yes. I, because there are one or two quotes from the guidebooks that are, um, that are from the draft guidebooks that I submitted that frontier are quite, you know, legitimately can change however they wanted to change. Um, but those, you know, one or two of those quotes were there to illustrate the points that I was making about how you construct worlds in, in science fiction and fantasy. And the fact that my PhD has been, you know, downloaded hundreds of times by, um, uh, by, by elite players to find little bits and little clues. It's wonderful. You know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm absolutely not, you know, not against that in the slightest, but it, it's one of those things that makes you go, geez, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this, this massive whole stock mythology. Oh my God. I'm, you know, 
I, I never thought that that would be a thing, you know. Um, yeah, this he's a writer. You did ten yeah, years ago. Exactly. I mean, he's a writer I admired and admired and admired for you know for decades. Um, I wasn't um, fortunate enough to meet him, um, but you know his legacy is is you know huge in fantasy, which is really interesting because he's a he's a mythologist, and actually that's the point. You know, what you've got is not really a natural science fiction writer, more of a natural fantasist and mythologist who who wrote some stuff that left some lingering elements, you know, for, for people to go and search for. And they're still searching 40 years later. Yeah. You know? Well, like, you know, people are still going on about dredges and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, we have dredges in game and they are amazing. Uh, actually, I mean, I don't know about anyone else, but does anyone think that... Frontier should actually put Raxler in the game. No, as a tangible thing you could visit and definitely not. Okay, so I I have a way in which this should be done. Okay, there is a very specific way in which I would do this if I was you know if I was going to mm. do it. What I would do is I would recruit a set of players and I would turn those players into the Dark Wheel. <laughs> and they would have to be, they would absolutely, those players would have to be, they'd have to sign contracts, et cetera, et cetera. They would become mm-hmm. the dark wheel. And then what they then do is they then go and, and, and you do something. Cause I, one of the things I never liked with the game's specific design is the fact that NPCs and players are different in yeah. that, you know, you can, you can, when you detect a player on the map, you know, you've got a hollow, you got um, a hollow triangle. Yeah, you've got a hollow I always felt that 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 that's that's a problem. I, yeah, I understand why it's there, but you know, in terms of narrative, it's much better if everybody, you know, if you don't know, if you're not sure. So in this term, I would suggest that those players have to be, you know, in some sense, they would. We wouldn't know whether they were, you know, NPCs or players or whatever they were. Um, but I would get players to do it. And those players, gradually, they would be given a remit of when to recruit people um, and who to recruit, because as, some, as soon as somebody pings a particular mission at a certain ranking level, then that would be a notification for someone to, you know, to go off and recruit them. And they would be given very specific tasks to do related to the, um, you know, the game layer. So, you know, they'd be following their own narrative agenda in terms of what was there. And that would be how I'd do it. You know, I wouldn't wouldn't try and make it um, something, some sort of NPC reveal thing in that regard. Because if you do that, it's a static thing. And it comes back to what Karash said about this idea of, you know, you find something, someone else finds it in a video, and you are, you know, if you make it players... And you you do enough to obscure those players so that we're not sure what they are. Then okay, so it wouldn't be like Commander Edelweiss and Karash and Alec Turner. Oh, yeah, we'd be we'd log in as as, as an M, we'd log in as an NPC character kind of thing and interact with people a um, bit like a GM. Yeah? Yes, well, well, some kind of character that's ambiguous. Right, so you don't know if it's an NPC, you don't know if it's a player. It's not a name you recognise. Um, and what you do is you give it a whole different set of agendas. Essentially, you know, you could do it along the lines of you get your character to this, um, you know, to this ranking. Here is your option: if you join the Dark Wheel, you lose your ID, you lose your, you know, your login, your login, you know, that everybody knows. You just literally disappear. 
that's fine. They disappear. Some story turns up in Galnet about another Thargoid incursion and a load of people dying and stuff, and, you know, Commander is lost, etc., etc. Brilliant. So let's, let's take an example here. Karash disappears, and he goes out and becomes Commander Ghost, and Commander Ghost then makes that contact. And it means that every time that contact happens with a new player who is indoctrinated and recruited, it's different. It's new. Yeah. It's vibrant. Um, you can have a secret space station in a, in a dark system. If you want a secret space station in a dark system, <laughs> wouldn't it be cool? You know, yeah, let's put one yeah. or two of those in, in place that you can't find on a map and only one person can find it because X, Y, or Z. You know, okay, if you want to put those things in, if you've got a player leading you there, how cool is that? You know, every time this, this happens, it's new, it's insidious, it's, you know, they're a secret cabal, they're a secret organization. And fr- the one thing Frontier like, and they do like this, um, over, you know, EVE Online or other, other places, the one thing that Frontier like is to maintain the balanced control over the political environment, you know, the big game lever of what the actual MMO is doing you know it's supposed to be you know cold war right you know we're supposed to have two powers that are essentially at each other and then you've got a third power that can be a bit of a, a tipping point and then you've got a random alien but it, it's always kind of a, a, a kind of equilibrium it looks like it's going to tilt one way looks like it's going to tilt the other but it's pretty much staying you know sort of level if you make sure that these these players you recruit to this thing have got a specific agenda and have a specific thing to do, then you maintain that. You keep giving them direction. And if someone betrays them, they're they're headhunted, right? And you know, you just you just place it so that as soon as they, they're destroyed, then they lose their access. You know? Yeah, but you can't go and remove their their I've I've gone off and spent forty pounds on elite. You can't no, go no, and no, delete no, no, their no. accounts. No, 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 no. You just bring them back to being the commander they were when they were, you know, when they were uh, given the opportunity to join. You just lose their access. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, you, if you joined up and you're commander ghost, suddenly you can see the special space station. If you yeah. start betraying the, you know, the, the crew and blabbering it to everybody in the thing, a bounty gets put on your head, all the other dark wheel turn up and they kill you, and when you log back in game, your rebuy means you're back to being commander so-and-so. Space Station's gone. Done. Although, apart from the fact that you, if you were going to do that kind of thing, you'd probably get a lot of evidence and so on. You'd, you'd make screenshots and you know, all these things. You'd, you'd video to, it on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah, but, you know... You in this day and age, you'd probably be streamed. But you can run some disinformation on that if you wanted to. I mean, that... It, yeah. You know, and, and, and even, you know, even the fact that you're thinking along those lines is... You're you're evaluating it, right? Yeah, it's a lovely idea. You're thinking about it. It's a beautiful idea. And I think we'd we'd all love the idea of essentially of GMs in game. It's a tap on the shoulder. That's what it is, isn't it? It's a tap on the shoulder to go, hey, you know, excuse me, uh, MI five are interested in your (laughs) your work. Could you come and work with us? Uh, A a sort of parallel I like. I mean, it's a very different kind of thing, but it but it's a a neat illustration. Is the fuel rats because yeah, you know, the fuel rats was started by one guy, Surly Badger, who I've met several times at Lavecons, and you know, a group of us who who 
liked the idea and and sort of signed up to it and and but there's it's more than just the gameplay of delivering fuel there is a kind of ethos and a spirit to the fuel rats you know there's certain things you do and don't do and it's not exactly in character but there is a little bit of being in character and that and that has continued for years and years and years with you know fuel rats have come and gone and come and gone and so it's different people from the beginning but the central ethos, the feel of what it means to be a fuel rat has, has never changed, which is, you know, a great example of how a group of players can really run with an idea like that and without too much guidance, stick to it. And it's, it's crucial that it, it has a limit because that's actually the nature of Elite Dangerous as a, as a designed game. You know, Elite Dangerous has never been designed for somebody to have um, a level 10 lever. You know, the kind of apocalyptic levers i mean we know that with eve online that some of the groups in eve online have the opportunity to effectively lock the game in their particular direction you know if if you can get enough people together you can make this happen or that happen you know we know that, that, that that's that's kind of the way in which that game is designed and they like that elite dangerous was never designed that way it was never designed to have that kind of control so what you do is you keep the le- the the lever that um you know that that's that's within that layer you keep that lever at a at a restricted power level yeah sure it's you know they can they can do things that other people can't do they're going to be given goals and tasks that you know you're not going to see in the standard community goals but they're comparable you know um you can, you know, even if you wanted to, you could even theme it. You could even start with this. Then you bring up a couple of other secret organizations. And if if there is a particular kind of thing that people go, we want more PvP, for example, then by being a member of a particular organization, and I mean, I know certain players do this anyway, but by being a member of a particular organization, it says, hello, you know, I'm up for more of that. So the missions are tailored that way and so on and so forth. You know, they're more direct combat um, in relation to, you know, to assassination of others and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, there's plenty of ways in which it can be done. I think, you know, I, I will say one last thing on it. If there is a base, the base has to move. You know, that would be crucial. The base would have to be able to be mobile. The reason it would need to be mobile is that if if someone's going to betray the location of the base, if it's fixed, you're screwed. So, you know, as soon as someone betrays the location of the base, you up sticks and you can move it. Um, but you move it to places that usually wouldn't be places that anyone else would go to. Bring it back onto the Thargoids. <laughs> um, and onto back onto aliens and things like that, but in any of the previous stuff, has there been any kind of indications about their anatomy and things like that, other than a Thargoid laying his hand on 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 the bar and things like that? It, or do, do we take that as canon, even? Intentionally, no. All right? So um, the, there was a very specific, and I, I can probably be very clear here in, in that regard. Um, there was a very specific mandate given to the fiction writers the the ones specifically that wanted to use Thargoids in their stories, that they kept them in the shadows. And if you read Out of the Darkness, Out of the Darkness is as near as you're allowed to get to a canon novel describing a Thargoid. And guess what? You, they don't. You know, that, yeah. that's the point. So it's, it's, you know, it's as near as... And that was part of the, um, you know, the requirement uh, of what was there. 
Um, so yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get any of that clues out of game, and that 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 ties to another point, which I think is crucial. And this is one that you know we discussed in the um, the Raxler thread fairly recently. It's worth remembering the game is the primary canon source. So anywhere else you go and find anything, if it's not Elite Dangerous, then it's subsidiary to Elite Dangerous. Beta canon kind of idea. Yeah, so you you basically got to say, um, you know, okay, 1984 Elite. Uh, everything in it is canon to 1984 Elite. There are some things in it that have been taken from it and are in Elite Dangerous. Isn't that cool? But most of the things that are in it are only canon to 1984 Elite. So you're primary source canon text is the game you're playing even the official stories the game is priority so if there's something in game that contradicts one of those stories sorry you know those stories have to you know and you have to essentially you've got to filter things like micro jumping in uh, elite wanted or um docking is difficult or uh Nemerensis. you know that that's because no one came up with the frameshift frameshift drive before the, those drafts were in. So sorry, you know that's that's you've got to kind of edit it and filter it while you read it. You no, know, having to base it on their previous experiences with original Elite and Frontier. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, and the one of the things that occasionally people can get caught up in when they're trying to create these these sort of elaborate narratives that stitch it all together is that um, they'll substitute one. Primary, narr- primary canon text for another. So by saying, oh, well, we found this in Elite Dangerous, and of course this is in Frontier, so that means that they went from here to here. Mm, no, it doesn't. Because unless you found the thing that you found in Frontier in Elite Dangerous, exactly, you know, the date reference, the, you know, and so on, you can't. You have to always find it in the primary source text. So, I mean, that it, it kind of it's also, I think, it brings up the idea that we had where the ideal story, as it was in Frontier First Encounters, is different from what we've been told actually happened, if I'm, if I'm correct there as well. Because, you know, I think a lot of people thought that the best one was, you know, you go off and you don't deploy the mycoid virus, you get a Thargoid ship, and sail off happily into the sunset. Whereas what really happens is the whole John Jameson storyline, I guess, that we see um, leading up to Crash Sidewinder, don't we? Yeah, the, I mean... That's, in, that's actually in the game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, Michael, Michael Brooks wanted to dial back on the very specific elements from the end of Frontier First Encounters to leave room for the contact in Elite Dangerous. So, you know, all the stuff about the virus and the other bits and pieces um, at that, you know, at that stage, it's kind of dialed back, you know, a little bit. Um, so, you know, that, that's the point is as soon as you see that as priority canon, you are swapping Elite Dangerous for Frontier First Encounters. You can't do, you do that. what I mean? And you can't do that. You have to what you have to do is go, well, OK, I found this interesting thing in Frontier First Encounters. Did we find it in Elite Dangerous? No. Okay, well, this is what we found in Elite Dangerous. Okay, well, that, that's as far as we know. But this is interesting, because this is a way in which it went. It could be, could be something, but it's still speculative. The only stuff we know is the stuff that we've got in the game. I'm, just, I'm reading from 
uh, Kenzix. So it was Canon Canon before it came Canon. <laughs> Basically. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take it, yeah. But, layers, I mean, but honestly, you know, don't don't think this is this is you know unusual because if you read a Star Trek novel, it says in the front of most of the Star Trek novels that were you know produced in the you know the eighties and nineties that they are completely not canon. If you, especially the ones written by William Shatner. If you go to if you go to you know to, to to the Star Wars novels, they obviously they went and junked to load and turned them into a legacy line, you know, so that they could reset the, the canon. If you go to you know a variety of different um, different franchises, they're all doing different things. They're all retconning in different ways. They're all you know they they've all got different methods of trying to create some kind of um, consistent narrative, and they're all asking their you know their their players, their fans, their readers, to accept the changes that they they feel are necessary to make. And sometimes people do, and sometimes they don't. I, I, I think I, I said on the, the Raxler thread a few weeks ago, I can't watch James Bond, because in, in Skyfall, when they, um, when they had the graves of his parents, it said that James, essentially it told me that James Bond is not a code name, that's his actual name. At that yeah. point, I'm sitting there going, yeah, but Pierce Brosnan played him, and Judy Dench was M in, in, in that sequence, and now she's M in this sequence, and we're supposed to accept that there wasn't a change of actor. I, I, I'm out. You know, that broke my immersion. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, couldn't go any further, you know, in, in terms of understanding that, because I'd always reconciled the idea that James Bond was a code name for all these different people, you know, who, who became the agent. Became, so, yeah, double seven. And, and don't don't get me wrong. I know how crap that sounds. As in, my personal, you know, narrative is broken. So you know, uh, I stamp my foot and you know, swish my skirts and head for the door. Now, you know, I mean, if if it's on telly, I'll watch it. But the point is, is that for me, that was how I'd established the narrative, and so that was the way in which I'd, I'd seen it. And that's my problem. You know, it's not it's not the showrunner's problem. Yeah, it's my it, problem. it is a you problem. But yeah, I think a lot of people, a lot of people, thought, I know, I certainly thought that. Um, right, quickly then, because we are running out of time. Do we do we have any information about the guardians? You know, we've got obviously the the stuff that we've got in game. We've got access to reverse engineering their their fighters and we can drive around the ruins and we can get attacked by their their AI minions. But then the story's kind of stopped there. Um, but obviously their AI, or we, we're told that their AI killed them off eons ago. Do you think there's any chance of seeing them again or? Yeah. Where do we there's think a, that's? You know, it's all, it's all, um, it's all good source, right? Yeah. You know, if you're making a if you're making a, a a cake, you've got to have some of the ingredients already in place. Um, Chekhov's gun. Do you know about Chekhov's gun? So it's a it's a stage and storytelling device. If there's a gun, yeah, on the wall, I was to say I've heard of it. Oh, you've yeah. got to see it before you. Yeah, yeah. So if there's if there's a gun on the wall in the first act, then it'll be fired in the second or the third. So if we yes. put some stuff yes. out in plain sight, then clearly we can make use of it later. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. You know, if the stuff's there, then, you know, it's, it's, it's there to be used. You know, it's been put there so that there is, you know, some kind of narrative function for it to be used later. How it's going to be used, you know, it's going to be down to whoever's had a story at that point in time, isn't it? Mm. So, and finally, I'll go, I'll go around asking all of you, but, okay, so, John, 
do you think there's any chance of peace with the Thargoids? I hope so. I mean, following on from what Alan was saying there, I can kind of envisage if we do eventually chill out with them, they Frontier are going to need a new big bad. So what's the potential of the Guardian's AI coming back and, you know, kicking our asses? <laughs> that would be a lovely little pop. It would be nice. Yeah. yeah. But speculation, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Alan, peace with Thargoids? It's more interesting if there's both. So mm-hmm. uh, what about if the Alliance makes peace with the Thargoids and starts to acquire Thargoid technology? Yeah. Yeah. And therefore starts to become more powerful, which causes uh, an, a, you know, a slight shift in the, the power balance, requiring the Federation and the Empire to do something else in, in, you know, in kind of uh, in answer to that. And so we end up with, you know, we end up with a kind of multifaceted narrative. We end up with with insurgent groups like INRA turning back up and kind of doing doing more INRA things. You know, you get the return of, of you know, people trying to destabilize um, peace talks, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it's much more interesting if we start to turn it into this, you know, this melting pot. Uh, I mean, in terms of new guys, I, I still want to see um, proper artificial intelligence come back. Mm-hmm. You know, we, it was written out in a particular way to allow that to be a possibility of there being something. Um, you know, in in terms of the you know the the history, the background, you know, you could have you something know, on that. that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have something on that. Perhaps you want to dive back in. Yeah, I just I just thought something. That just Alan just made me think think of something really good. Do we know how many stargoids have, or rogue signals have been spotted so far? I think it's still eight. Still eight at the moment. Eight, eight was the, yeah. Eight was the last number I heard. Because if they made it a nice round ten, that would be enough to take out all of the other paraplay characters and leave the but, alliance. But if they work in base eight. <laughs> Well, I'm, really, I'm just looking at the sheer numbers, you know, like take it out. Oh, you know. yeah. <laughs> Perhaps that's where they're headed. Hey, hey, have you all seen Arrival, you know, the Ted Chang, um, uh, well, the film of the Ted Chang's SF I've not seen it yet, but I, I've, it's, okay. it's on so, the list, TM. So the plot premise of Arrival is really interesting, because what Arrival does is it basically... Um, you br- introduce an alien race to Earth's current politics, and it offers a weapon to everyone. Mm-hmm. Who take who takes the weapon? Okay. <laughs> yes, spoiled it for you now, Ben. It's it's all right. I mean, it's it's a fair, it's a. I've read books that offer very similar ideas, and chaos could ensue. Uh, Alec, do you think there's any chance of peace with Thargoids? Maybe, maybe. Um... Frontier are working quite hard in Galnet recently to at least give some breathing space to the idea. Um, mm. And there's there's still that Thargoid that popped up at um, Palin's new base that seemed to behave very differently. I think if there is peace with Thargoids, they need. I think they need to introduce the you know the two factions because I think people enjoy their. AXI combat, you know, it's such a great game, bit of gameplay, you know, it's such oh, a good boss fight that um, there always needs to be a warring Thargoid faction. So I think if there is peace, then there needs to be a, a new side, which, which luckily the, you know, the, the, the law gives us a bit of breathing room for. Um, yeah, maybe. Frontiers seem to be 
I suppose my fear with the recent Galnet stuff is that it's just lip service and we'll, we'll, there'll be a whole bunch of Galnet saying maybe we can be peaceful with them and then there'll be a, you know. You no, were kidding. No, you were kidding. <laughs> yeah. and, and we're what were you thinking? Yeah. Yeah, I hope they don't do that. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm pretty much with you. I love Alan's idea of the the Alliance taking over and you know, getting a bit more chummy with them. And it would, it would be nice, to, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that would like that as well. And it would, it would also mean that Frontier could do it purely using Galnet. Yeah. They could also give the Alliance some little... Because, you know, you've got sort of... Well, the Alliance don't have... They don't have... A, capital ships and things. No. So you you kind of have... the You don't really get a bonus from being with the Alliance. Yeah, you know, if you, you're you, Empire, you, really you get a ship, if you're Federation. Alliance, maybe maybe you get some little inroad with the Thargoids. I don't quite know what, but some little yeah. bonus. from A little bonus. And, I mean, we've also obviously got on-foot combat coming and everyone is speculating some kind of Thargoid on-foot on, on combat. Um, and again, if we keep oh, with I'm Alex's going. idea of multiple factions, I'm, I'll then believe that one. Essential, yeah. Well, then, then you're into starship troopers, aren't you? Well, that—that's what a lot of people are very. That's what people are worried about, Alan. You know, it's like, but I actually, people I mean, enjoy I, shooting thargoids. You know, I mean, I, day. I'm keen on modular ships. You know, I, I like the idea of modular ships that are not as good as as the designed ships. As soon as you get into that territory, then you know, alien modules on ships is, you know, enhances that ship, etc., etc. You know, you're, you're immediately, your Alliance ships suddenly have got some sort of bonus. What about if the, you know, only Alliance designed ships can, uh, you know, can fit particular uh, modules that are traded with, uh, with the Thalcoids? Yeah, I think, so combining ideas from Metal Marrow and um, well, and a little bit of Mac, we've got could be, you know, maybe if you're in the right alliance ship, then the Thargoids wouldn't initiate combat with you, for example. And Max saying you could just be self-righteous. They're, they both seem very viable ideas. Right, so I think it's about time we, we moved on from that onto a, a slightly shortened community corner, unless anybody's got any final words on aliens that we want to bring up quickly. And I'm going to take that silence and move on to the community corner. So, we have an absolutely awesome, brilliant, a fabulous cartoon uh, from the High Wake where he's explaining the Explorer ranks and, as ever, watch it. It's hilarious. There's so many little nuggets in there. And, yeah, I just, I, I love his work. I think we all, if, if you don't love his work, there's something wrong with you, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Um, beautiful. I love him. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Alec. You want to talk about this buckyball race then? Uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we have a new race starting on Saturday. <laughs> I love the title of this one. It's called The Trouble with Triples. Beautiful play on the Star Trek yes. with Triples. I'm going to, I think what I'll do, I've been reading out a lot of stuff tonight, but I'm just going to read out the introductory paragraph because I think it gives a nice taste of what the race is about. So the intro is... Did you ever have a moment when out exploring or when trading or running missions or otherwise traveling from one system to another only to get a rude awakening by almost crashing into one of the stars in the system you jumped into? Maybe you even passed through its atmosphere and scooped a bit of fuel. 
This can happen for very tight binary systems, depending on your angle of approach, but tight triples can leave you cooking in between multiple stars. There aren't many in the bubble, but you'll meet a handful here and hopefully live to tell the tale. This is the trouble with triples. So basically a buckyball race jumping around a bunch of systems, but the key thing here is that all the systems are triple star systems. So when you jump into them, you cook your ship. So a lot of heat management going on in this. There's a, there's a regulation class, which I think I haven't done any practice runs in regulation, but I think it's been carefully built to uh, to maximise cooking. I, I, I think read he's added in uh, uh, heat. It is indeed. It's uh, the first time we've had a race where yeah. the regulation class ship has a mandatory heat sink. So uh, I think this one's going to be fun. Bit, bit of extra toasty. Indeed. Start Saturday, runs till the following Sunday. Just look on the, we'll post a link in the show notes. Is a week quite short for these things, or is it usually, is it usually a week? No, we do. It, it's ten days. We do them ten days, so we start okay. Saturday and finish Sunday. But yeah, this will days. probably be the last buckyball race of of the year. But there's a lot of oh. talk about doing a new championship next year. So <laughs> I guess that will mean at least like it gets to have a wee bit of a break. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And finally, we've got a lovely video, technically from Wotherspoon, though using assets created by Beetlejude. And it's actually something that I was I was talking to Jude about when we were talking about the the destination humanity, and it's the the quote of each signal could be an energy projectile or a navigation beacon for un- unknown forces. More fanciful suggestions include celestial beings beyond our comprehension or interstellar technology we have never we have never witnessed. Our intention is to narrow down more probable options soon. But I just had this image in my head of the of like a commander looking up and seeing a Thargoid, and all of a sudden waves of Thargoids coming out after it. A bit, you know, like a bit like a bat signal. You know, Batman kind of looking up to the bat signal. But obviously, instead of getting Batman, is like just bajillion to Thargoids, <laughs> and Jude then turned that into a thing, which I believe Norman can share with you now. much for that for that jude um i wasn't expecting all that much it was just it was just a silly little conversation that we had and you know she went off and produced that so i was like yay thank you and a squee kind of idea um right mostly clueless can anyone think of any alien related clueless things because we haven't got anything specific um this, oh well i, I mean, have one yeah. Well, it's a silly one, really, in a way. But silly is um, good. We probably, I probably don't know about it. Okay. So you know the Thargoid ground bases require a probe or a sensor to open the door. 
Yes. So you have to have one on you in order to go in. Um, a little tip. Well, it's an odd tip because it's only very special circumstances where it's useful. But you can actually drop your probe or sensor by the door to effectively prop it open so you don't have to carry it on you. Um, where it comes in particularly useful is if you're of a mind to try and get a ship launch fighter inside a Thargoid base. <laughs> because what you can do is get out in your SRV and then eject a sensor or probe so it ends up rolling next to the door and props the door open. And then you can jump in your back in your SRV, go back to the ship, get in your ship launch flight, fighter, fly down, and the door is still propped open by the probe or sensor. And you can just fly that is straight a, in. That is- that's a very good uh, thing. I've, something I've actually done as well. So, yes, prop, props to that one. I like that one for coming off the cuff there. Thank yeah. you, Alec. Um, right. Does anybody have any other business? Um, John, just a, yeah, a very quick, a very quick one. In that, um, I know we're uh, we're probably going to cover it uh, in the shout outs as well. But um, uh, Emily Inkpen's Dex Legacy is currently up for the Audioverse Awards. So, um, if anyone is not uh, and this is this is fascinating for me in that um uh, i was uh when we did escape velocity we actually uh, we got some nominations for the audioverse awards in um, in escape velocity uh, as well we had uh, you know some great nominations um but yeah they're open to anyone to vote um and i will put the link in the show notes for you so that you can uh, you know you can you that that would be awesome yeah but yeah uh, you know i mean they are they're an open voting uh, awards set up they've been going for a number of years now you know so so the process is obviously is um a little bit more uh, streamlined but yeah um go check a vote and you know it also the nice thing is is you can go to that website and you'll get the chance to if you like your audio drama you'll get the chance to go and sample a few other things see what other people are up to yeah no that, that's awesome and there's great news about them being up for a list of nominees so, Karash, do you want to tell people what you've been up to and where, where they can find you and what what things you is doing these days? <laughs> oh, same old, same old. I'm I'm doing the streams on Twitch Friday night. So that's uh, twitch.tv slash Karash Landing with a K-E-R-R. I know that confuses a lot of my American viewers, but yeah. Uh, so, yep, still streaming. Uh, hopefully be back in it this week. We're, we've taken the carrier, the squadron, and I've taken the carrier to Colonia. So uh, we're out there getting the last couple of engineers, staying well out of the way of all this uh, Thargoid nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, no, anything else from anyone else? And that'll be a no. Nope. So, yeah, we're going to go on to the shout-outs then. So, yeah, as Alan mentioned, we are indeed talking about the decks that you can see. They're taking a bit of a break before Season 2 comes back to us. And you can, but you can still watch and watch them. You can still listen to them on Spotify and Audible and various other places. Uh, just go off and have a shufty for the Dex Legacy. Uh, they've also got bonus content in there, and it's awesome. It's yeah, it's it's a great story. It's lovely, lovely audio stuff. And I really hope that they do 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 get they get good they get recognition in the audio audioverse awards. Um, our sister station, Huston Orbital Radio, broadcasts on Thursdays from half past eight. You can tune in to watch them at twitch.tv slash Huston Orbital Truckers. Um, and also, if you just want the audio version, which is probably safer, though not by much, you can go to radio.forthemug.com. 
for your discerning commander who enjoys a spot of CQC action, check out the CQC Discord at discord.me slash CQC. We also want to go off and give some lovely shout-outs to Psykit and the Flight Assist podcast. We've got the Guard, Guard Frequency who do other spacey things, as well as Elite Dangerous. And I'm going to have to check. I, and we and there's also the Loose Screws podcast as well. Um, they're still doing all their lovely stuff. Norman, do we have Garnet News Digest after this? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes, so we, we do, do have a we yes, we, we do, do have a Garnet News Digest. Yes, we do. Yay! So in that case, then thank you very much to Arbody who's chipped chipped in who's chipped in on Twitch. And if anyone said anything on Facebook, what the hell are you doing there? Um, <laughs> thank you very much to anyone who's in game. I'm sorry I wasn't there, but you know, I, I, I don't get to slack off this week and play video games. I've actually got to concentrate, uh, or at least to try and concentrate. Um, I want to thank Commander Toko, so JN Tracks and the lovely Alan Stride here for creating music that we used on the show. So I want to say thank you and good night to Karash. You're very welcome, sir. To Alan. Cheers. To and to Alec. Thanks, Ben. Can I point out, and this may be a record, I believe this has been an entirely innuendo free episode of Lave Radio. No, don't oh my so. God, I'll I'll be the one who's in charge of it. <laughs> good night, everyone. <laughs> Run. Is it too, yeah, well, you, um, I guess it's going to be up to Norman then to come up with an innuendo as I say goodnight to him. Uh, you kidding? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. <laughs> no worries. So, <clears throat> uh, so, that's it for another episode of Lay Video. If you want to get in touch with the show, then you can email us at info at laveradio.com. You can hit us up on Facebook on facebook.com slash laveradio. You can tweet us. We are still on Twitter at, at laveradio. We are on the Discord servers by going to discord.io slash laveradio. There is also a TeamSpeak server that is shared with us mobile to truckers at teamspeak.laveradio.com. Feel free to get in touch with us as anything you want to talk about. Lave Radio is recorded live on a Tuesday evening at half past eight and streamed out at laveradio.com. Thank you very much once again to Karash, to Alan, to Alec, and our beautiful tech specialist, Norman. Until next time, Commanders, fly safe. And if you can do that, fly dangerous.
No worries, guys. Hold the thought for two seconds, and I'll be right back. News Digest, 8th of November, 3308. We read the news so you don't have to. In this week's news, we look back over the three months that have elapsed since the Battle of HIP 22460 and look forward to the month ahead and what it may hold. By the 9th of August, 3308, there were very few voices speaking out against Salvation's plan to shut down thousands of Thargoid spacecraft using the Proteus Wave weapon that he had assembled in HIP-22460. The Federation, Empire and Alliance were fully supportive of Salvation and his organisation, Azimuth Biotech, and were providing military staff to work under Salvation's chain of command, in addition to their own megaships, to protect the engineering work to prepare the Proteus Wave in HIP-22460. For weeks, the battle had raged, with thousands of pilots supported by the three superpowers fighting off the gathering Thargoids. Salvation explained that the Guardian components being used to power the Proteus Wave would attract Thargoids, and it was these swarms of alien vessels that would be shut down by the Proteus Wave Pulse. Salvation then planned to gather the stricken vessels and analyse them, potentially to develop more powerful weapons. But in any case, the Thargoids would be dealt such a blow that they would never return to bother humanity. All of humanity's eggs were in one basket. Aegis had been shut down, at least partly due to misinformation spread by Salvation. And despite the revelation of historical cases of unethical research and the use of weapons of mass destruction, the superpowers had little choice but to trust Salvation to rid the galaxy of Thargoids. There were those that opposed Azimuth, mainly on moral grounds, including Professor Alba Tezro, the former director of research at Aegis, the Alliance as Admiral Rachel Ziegler and the loose coalition of pilots known as Operation Witch Hunt who attacked Azimuth resources, driving it out of many systems. But they were in a minority and vastly outnumbered by those busily fighting off the Thargoids in HIP 22460. When the Proteus wave was fired, it resulted in the near-instant shutdown of all the Thargoids in the system. It had worked perfectly but the celebrations lasted no more than two minutes. A second pulse from the Proteus wave, which was amplified through a massive Thargoid structure, appears to have been tuned to a different frequency. The Thargoid ships came back to life with increased vigour. Guardian hybrid modules fitted to human ships in the system failed. The intensity of Thargoid patrols and their aggressiveness notched up substantially. Any human ship that drops to normal space in HIP-22460 can expect to be attacked by one or more Thargoid ships within 90 seconds. But that's not all. The roar made by the Thargoids in HIP-22460 seems to have attracted the attention of eight 
some things that are now heading towards human space. We're not quite sure what these some things are, but they're known variously as rogue signal sources, stargoids and unidentified interstellar anomalies. And they seem to be massive distortions in space-time. And they're moving inexorably towards us. What is causing the distortions is not clear, but whatever they are, they're massive. And they're almost certainly not good news for humanity, unless we like the planets we live on being blown up. Our starports and other infrastructure destroyed and hostile Thargoids following us around. It's turned into a waiting game for humanity. We can track the Stargoids, but we can't get close enough to them to investigate what they are. The superpowers have been thrown into disarray, with the Empire refusing to consider trying to form a united defence against them, and the Federation and Alliance undecided. There's been talk of re-establishing Aegis, but nothing has come of that yet. There simply doesn't seem to be the political will to make it happen. A substantial peace movement has sprung up, especially in the Federation, which seeks to appease the Thargoid invaders, perhaps by ceding territory to them, but certainly by communicating with them. By contrast, the newly radicalised Fargod cult, which is currently operating from a secret location, welcomes the arrival of the Stargoys for a different reason. For them, this is the apocalypse they have been waiting for, and they look forward to the unbelievers being wiped out by their deity, the Fargod and to ascending to a new level of existence as Thargoids serving their lord, the Far God. What will the Stargoids turn out to be? In truth, we don't know. Recent speculation is that they may be energy weapons that can wipe out entire systems, or that they may be giant Thargoid ships, similar to the crashed ships that have been found on many planets in the Pleiades. If they are huge ships, will they be carrying squadrons of interceptors and scouts? Or will we see Thargoid ground combat troops for the first time? Will we see different Thargoid ships? We really don't know. An alternative is that they may be the equivalent of navigation beacons, allowing hundreds of Thargoids to all arrive at the same place at the same time. Are they Thargoid? Almost certainly. Some research organisations want to keep an open mind about the Stargoids until they can be sure, but the balance of probability seems very high indeed, that the Stargoids are some sort of Thargoid technology. It all sounds pretty grim. What can humanity do other than await their fate at the hands, or similar appendages, of the Thargoids and their new superweapon? There seem to be three possible courses to follow. One option is conventional warfare. The Empire wants to go it alone, and Sirius Corporation is trying to persuade the Alliance to do the same. To line up megaships against the Thargoids, just as we did in HIP 22460, and wait for their inevitable annihilation. But then, there are two agencies that promise something better. One of these is 
Azimuth Biotech, with its proven track record of genocide and human rights abuses, is trying to expand and to offer new anti-Zeno technologies and support services that may help us to fight off the Thargoids and whatever the Stargoids bring. It appears that it is seeing support from many pilots, possibly at least partly because of the promise of those anti-Zeno weapons, and never mind about all the terrible things that went on in the past. The other agency is Aegis. It's currently completely shut down, and it will require backing from at least two of the superpowers, and probably a substantial level of support from pilots. But in its previous incarnation, it had a good record of effectiveness and of doing the right thing. It was the withdrawal of funding that killed off Aegis the first time round. But now, Professor Tezro has the cooperation of engineers Ramtar and Ishmael Palin, who have been working on both the Stargoids and the unclassified relics that have been created by feeding Guardian relics into Thargoid structures, in a manner highly reminiscent of what happened to the Proteus wave. It seems highly likely that a recreated Aegis could develop weaponry using the engineer's analysis that is aware of what the Thargoids did to the Proteus wave, and that could either harness its power or in some way neutralise the Thargoids' advantage. Tezro has also been approached by former Azimuth test subject D2, whose name is Xiaojin Ai, and who believes she can understand the Thargoid roar. If this is a first step in understanding and perhaps even communicating with the Thargoids, then perhaps we can make more appropriate military decisions. Or just perhaps, we might be able to enter into negotiations with the Thargoids. But until humanity can sort itself out and come up with some sort of united approach to the Thargoids, the Thargoids and the Stargoids are likely to have the upper hand. When they arrive, and every indication is they will arrive this month, we should be prepared to lose battles against the Thargoids and for our stations, outposts and settlements to be destroyed. We should be prepared to be driven out of whole systems, just as we were driven out of HIP 22460. We can only hope to organise our military opposition or our negotiation for peace before we're driven out of the bubble completely. And that's this week's Galnet News. Galnet News. We read the news so you don't have to. Spider-Man Systems, the premier head of light entertainment for the galaxy, have turned the tables on the trolls quite literally this week. Still reeling from the positively punitive and patently prohibitive punishment they took at the hands of a suspected troll related to the wholly legitimate publishing of Battles Without Lasers, later renamed to Battle Cards, they stepped into their latest venture by inventing something no one had ever thought of before. A table. Not just any table, but a table for your table. 
Tabletop gaming will never be the same again as your tabletop tabletops your standard tabletop and stops your standard tabletop game from being ruined by topple tipple washing over your top. Standing on cute little legs, the level up lifts the level up a little so you can place your board on board and keep the tabletop that's under for things you don't want on the top. Sales of this mind-bendingly great product have gone through the roof, and not just because people have been stacking them. On target to raise the game of anyone investing by at least a few inches. There are rumors that due to the success, they're investing in a new distribution megaship and staff with particularly slobbery tongues to lick all the stamps. Well done, Spidermind. We can't wait to see your next cunning invention, and bets have been placed on whether it's under underpants or over overcoats. It certainly sits nicely alongside the 21st century upgrade of going out to going out out. While the team on Dex Island take a well-earned break before their Series 2 return, there's plenty of material to fill the void. Point your auto assistant to your favorite podcast app, including Spotify and Audible, and search The Dex Legacy. There you'll find bonus edition interviews with cast members and with the writer Emily Inkpen. There's also plenty of bonus materials and merch at www.thedexlegacy.com. All proceeds go towards the making of season two. Thanks, guys.